Yeah, let's just talk uh, briefly about what we're doing, and then I will give you um, a better question. I will start essentially on time because I have to run today. So, hi, I'm Miriam. Um, we're going to talk about few team of the high holidays. Some of them. Um, first of all, can everybody tell me their name again, which I'm like going to always forget as is my custom, but I'm going to try. Um, always, always good to ask. I guess what I should say. My name is Miriam Gedweiser. I teach here at Trisha. I live near here, other things, I don't know, I, I have, I'm a member of the bar, Not a, I don't know if I should say that I'm a lawyer, but anyone else is, you can talk to me about that also, um, so could you just tell me your names, again, can we just go around the room, everybody say your name, maybe, actually, here's a good question, maybe say your name and your level of comfort with Hebrew, or like, liturgical Hebrew in particular, like, and, and whatever, you know, like, you're comfortable reading out loud, but you don't always understand the words, or you would rather read in English, or, or whatever. Jackson, that. <laughs> and okay. her name is Jackson. Great. Hi. Hi, Irene. Okay. Um, and, read some, speak some, so I feel like advanced. Okay. Sure. Okay, great. Elizabeth, right? Okay, we've read four, so I think I have an idea. Barbara. Barbara, yeah. Eighty or ninety percent. Great. Okay. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Reba. Amazing. Me too. Although that doesn't always mean one thing. Um, okay. So here's here's what I would like to do today, and let's talk about today and this this whole course. Um, so this course is on Q-Team. What, right, like Rosh Hashanah, perhaps this is like the distinctive feature of what Rosh Hashanah is, right? Is, um, right, like, why is Shul so long on Rosh Hashanah? Right, because there's like all these extra things. What are the extra things? First of all, some of them are not what we would call like Q-Team in the, right? Some of them are just like, the Shmona Esrei is long, right? There's like extra parts in Musaf, there has three, three extra parts, and then you go to the Shofar, right? Some of that is like, sort of part of the liturgy itself and it may be written in a poetic language but we wouldn't necessarily call it like piyut in the same way but a piyut is in, at least the way I'm using it here the things I'm sort of looking at are things that are right, they're, they're sort of poetic insertion into our ordinary structure um, right? and a lot of them are pretty old Hi um, I haven't given anything out yet but you can grab a Tanakh please um, and what's your name? Great um, How do you feel about Hebrew reading? Okay, great. Thank you. Um, um, so, right. So, a, a piyut is sort of like some sort of a, a poetic insertion. Are you okay there? I'm sorry. Thank you, guys. Okay. Um, some, first of all, right, so we know them as, as existing on, on like the high holidays in particular. What we're going to read, start with today, is it's called the Yotzer for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. The Yotzer being, right. Well, right, Yotzer means creator. So what, when a piyut is called a Yotzer, right, there's some, some communities have the, the custom of Yotzeros, right? The, the minion that I grew up going to, which was sort of like a, a matter of internal politics in the shul, but we did have the custom of saying Yotzeros because the Gabai was of German descent. Um, 
right? Yotzeros are like these liturgical poems, and they exist for other holidays also. In fact, they used to exist all the time, right? Yotzer or is the bracha, the first bracha before Shema in Shachar, right? And Yotzeros are poems that you put into Yotzer or, right? So, and sometimes people just call all sorts of random poems that you say Yotzeros because those are sort of the well-known genre. Um, so we're going to talk about the Yotzer for the first day of Rosh Hashanah first today because it's sort of like if you get to show up on time for that it's like the first liturgical poem of the morning um, so and it's, it's actually I learned some interesting things about it when I was preparing this so we'll talk about that I hope um, next week and we'll see how long that takes and we'll also talk about one or two teams from Musaf of Rosh Hashanah the first day or both um, next week I have to talk about Unetana Tokev which like everybody talks about all the time but like you know, there's this famous story that many people learn in elementary school, which may or may not be historically accurate. Um, there's a lot of interesting, like, textual antecedents to that piece. So we'll talk about it in the third week, just sort of, like, as an overview. The week after that, there's a Yom Yun here, in conjunction with Yishevat Maharat. So this class will not meet, but Rabbi Silver is going to be talking about um, the themes of the Akeda in liturgy. So, like, <laughs> there's a thematic. If you want to learn more about liturgy, you can still come that day. Um, and then we'll talk about something about Yom After then, Yom, then there's Rosh Hashanah, and then we'll talk about something about... Yom Kippur, probably, I haven't figured out exactly what. So that's sort of the plan, um, right? We talked about what is the Pew, we talked about what is the Yotzer to some degree, right? The most famous Titan that many people have, right? The Kalir, we love had Kalir. Um, who, it's sort of obscure who he was, right? Some people, when they give this truth, they're like, well, Pelsol says that he was a Tana, um, which, like, that, that is true, but it's not clear, like, how that's relevant, because this is sort of a historical question, and, like, it seems pretty clear that he was not a Tana. Uh, however, what's, that's sort of a little bit too flippant, because what, one of the reasons you might want to say that he's a Tana, one of the interesting things about him is that he says things that are not the same, like, his poems contain a lot of biblical allusions and a lot of rabbinic or midrashic allusions. And some of the midrashic allusions seem to be to things that are not the same. And we'll see this in the time of also, though it's not by Hakulir necessarily, right? Um, they seem to be to versions of midrashim that are not the same as ours, right? So this could be a problem. So one way to solve that problem is to say, like, well, he is a Tana, so he can have his own midrashim. That seems not to be true, but what may be true is that he's reflecting versions of midrashim that didn't make it into the compendia that we have, but that were out there. Right, some sort of early versions. It's not clear where he lived. I think there's. My, I'm not like a an academician or whatever you would call it, but my understanding is that there's some sort of academic debate. But many people think that he doesn't ever have. Um, he doesn't have any PU team for the second day of Yom Tov, which suggests maybe he was living in Israel. Um, but right, it's not clear exactly where he lived. Maybe he has. Some people say maybe actually he was in Italy, but even that might be sort of connected to the Eretz Israel tradition, sort of geographically, maybe sort of refugees from Eretz Israel went to Italy. Um, so, right, maybe he's reflecting certain traditions that we don't have in our Midrashim, but he is, it is Kalir and Yana, who's his teacher, who wrote the second piece that we will talk about today if we have time. Um, they're considered, I think, by scholars to be sort of an active point to Midrashim that we may not know about in other ways. So that is sort of something interesting, but it's also, of course, very difficult because, like, as you're trying to unravel illusions, like, it could be that it's an illusion to something that you don't know, and you have to, like, reconstruct it based on the illusion, which is a little bit challenging. Um, so that's sort of my thought. Um, I just, I guess, let's just, let's just start looking at it, and we'll see, like, some sort of features of the genre. I think this is in some ways, like, kind of interesting, typical... I don't know, typical, maybe I shouldn't say that. But it's a good example 
um, to use today. This, this has English on one side, Hebrew on the other side. The English is from the Birnbaum, um, and the Hebrew is from this thing called the Goldschmidt Master, which is in the other room where they were having a meeting when I was getting these books, so I don't have it with me right now, but um, it's like a critical edition kind of Master, so it has like various footnotes and sort of textual emendations. Um, and everybody who studies liturgy is like, you should look at the Goldschmidt Master, so I did. Um, and it also has line numbers, which is always helpful. Um, so, right. But I, I think what maybe we should do is um, let's just sort of talk about the, the first few lines, see how it works, and then let you guys look at it a little bit and sort of think, think through the themes a little bit more, and then come back together. Does that make sense? Um, as we'll see how it works, you can, you know, every line has much, there's a lot you, you could say about it, or we'll try and sort of pick things up. Right, so we have, here it's set up, right, it's three lines with three parts each. Um, right, so I, I guess I'll read, so not everybody wants to read in Hebrew, right? Melech Azur Gevura, Gadol Shimcha Bigura, Lecha Zra'im Gevura, right? So it's three parts, they're sort of a meter, um, and they each, here each one ends with the same word, right? So the king who is girded in, yes, I can look at those Hebrew anyway, because I have the extra sheets, right? King who's girded with power, right? So one of the, right, the Birmingham translation is not always much beloved because, like, each of these lines ends in the same word, and the English lines do not end in the same word, right? But, because he's trying to make it, right? Um, but, right, so, like, the king who is girded in power, your name is great with power, right, you have arm, like, mighty arm with power, right, um, so, here are some good examples of what, how the Kalir works, right, because each of these phrases, yeah? Just before, just to back no, where in the service is this? Right, that's a great question. So this is, let's look at this for a second, right, this is in the, the bracha of Yotzer Or, which is a bracha before, um, before Shema, but right, basically what happens is you say Baruch Hu, right, you say Yishtabach, whatever, the new, the new Chazan takes over, you say Yishtabach, um, Yishtabach, then you say Baruch Hu, then, this is a good question, I just don't want to, I don't want to mangle it, I'm going to just find the page. Anyway, right, all these things, this is like this one form here. Um, wow, I'm much further in here, right? Um, right, so you say Baruch Hu, then you sit, right, then we have the normal Baruch Baruch HaTashem, Elkinah Menachalam, Bokteach Banashari, not the normal Baruch sorry. Right, we would usually say Yotzer over Echoshech, right, instead here we have some, a more sort of poetic version of the same thing, Yotzer, a sort of poetic introduction, Yotzer over Echoshech, Osesh Alam over Echoshech, which is the normal liturgy. Then we have this verse, Or Olam Beotar Chaim, Orot Meofel Amar Beit, Or Olam Beotar Chaim, Orot Meofel. So, right, so that's sort of like this, that's actually part of, right, I, we, I think in, our, in my head at least, <laughs> I don't want to speak for other people, you think of that as an introduction to the PU because it starts with the tune and whatever, but it's actually sort of part of the bracha, I think, right, like, or Olan being, right, the the eternal light, sort of a reference, right? Yoser Or is about like God creating the light of the world, or Olam is about potentially like this idea of the Or Haganus, right? So like there was an original light that was hidden, um, right? So God has the Or Olam, but God has like the hidden light, the eternal light in like the, the treasure house of 
the living, sort of the eternal living, right? And and God also created the, the worldly lights out of nothing. Um, and then we go into this thing. Um, well, I didn't get that, actually. Yeah. What you just said about the um, So there is this idea. This master does not have the same thing that we are talking about, but that's okay, because you have it in front of you. Um, um, if you want to. But it's okay. I, ha- I actually have a copy of this, the thing. Um, I just didn't copy that page, but thank you. It's in room one. All the, all the liturgical things, should you be interested, are in room one. Um, so there's this idea that basically, like, the light that it talks about God creating in the creation story is sort of like God created one light which was sort of too powerful, too spiritual, too something for the world. When God saw that the world was going to have sin in it, God took that special light, saved it for the tzaddikim for the future, and created this like different light which is not what we have now. Um, I mean, maybe this is partly related to the idea of, right, like, the creation of light happens before the creation of the bodies that give light. Um, there's also a there's a soup to which it's often attached, right, or the Ruala Sadiq, right, that there's some light that's being saved for the Sadiqim later, is this idea. Um, so that, that's the idea, and that's, that's what's being referred to in this introduction, right? And then we go into this piece. Um, right, so let's, let me just like, just sort of to give a taste of how, how it works, right? So the, I don't know, I think sort of on the surface level, right, these words, like they're, it's poetic, it's nice, right, that's fine. Um, it doesn't seem like super linguistically complex necessary. in which I put lots of sticky tabs so I could find all these verses easily, which has somehow disappeared. So I apologize. There's going to be a decent amount of flipping back and forth. Um, sorry about that. What can we do? Um, let's look at Psalm 65, 7. Right. So we will do this. Oh, yeah. People don't have enough. Thank you very much, Barbara. Um, it's alphabetical. Hmm? Yes. Right. Right. So it is alphabetical. Right. We'll talk about how many things there are. Right. So each. Right. Melech, Aleph, Melech, Bet, Melech, Gimel. Did you say sixty-seven? Yes. So Psalm sixty-five, seven. Page 1488. Right. Oh, yeah. Page 1488. Thank you. Um, right. So, right. It's a, the previous verse is it's a supplication to God, right? God, answer us. Um, and then it says, God, by his power, fixed the mountains firmly. Right. He is girded with strength. So this 
turn of phrase exists already, right? That's sort of, that's the MO here, like the modus operandi here, is to take turns of phrase that exist and make them into other things. The way I kind of think of it is like, you know those posters that they sell where you take like, you know, a thousand Civil War era pictures and you arrange them in such a way that they like tiny, tiny versions of them so they look like Abraham Lincoln's face? Does this sound like familiar? I think that's kind of, that's sort of what an analogy was how these two teams work, is you take pieces from other things and you put them together to make something else, right? Which is why, like, these terms of phrase don't necessarily seem super creative, but the reason they don't seem super creative just is because, like, we're, they're so familiar because they've been incorporated into the liturgy because you took them out of the Bible, right? But it is actually, it's difficult to make your own ideas out of, some, out of other words, right, that already exist, um, right? So the Azar Bigra is an idea that's out there. Um, now, like, the same idea, if you look at Jeremiah 10, 6, I'll tell you the page in a second. Um, so this phrase, girded with might, ne'ezar bigura, the point is that this idea of combining the phrase girded or ne'ezar with might exists already in the psalm. Yeah. Right. And here we have literally the same word, the Dolshin Kabihura, being lifted from a verse and put into the PU. But here we also see something else that is often the case, where the words are not just themselves, they're carrying a certain background, which if you know these sukim, which maybe I don't, but maybe Khalil probably did, not maybe definitely, right, there's something else that he has to say about it, which is if you look, sort of, um, if you turn the page to 1033, right, this whole chapter, um, right, Komar Hashem al-Derach Goyim al right, don't learn from the nations, um, right, don't be afraid of the nations, um, because, you know, God is, um, you know, God is great, like, you, God, are great, and your name is great, um, sorry, um, right, like, you know, sort of, we have, we have already introduced in this idea, which we will see the reason I'm phrasing that, you don't know this is where it's going, but I, I will tell you, right, the, na- the idea of the relationship with the nations, how they know God or how they relate to God or don't, is going to be a theme of dispute. And we're already sort of introducing that with this phrase here, right? Gadoshim Chabigurat sounds innocuous enough. It sounds like you're just describing God, but if you know the if you know the origin, you know that you're also talking about how like we understand that God is great, but not everybody does, right? Um, what are we supposed to get from Jeremiah 10:6? So that's what I'm saying, right? First of all, that the same phrase is picked up exactly verbatim in the in the poem, right? Your name is great in power. Right? And second of all, that if you look at the greater context here, it's, it's already starting to introduce the theme of nations not understanding God versus Jews, yes, understanding or supposed to be understanding God. Um, okay. And that's, let's flip to Psalm 99.14, which is on. That's around 1535. 1523. 
No, sorry, that's 89. Yeah, there's no 14 in 99. Did I miss it? Maybe I missed it. Um, so true. <laughs> so true. Let's see where we're going. Um, no, it's 89. It is 89. My apologies. Yeah, so it would be 1524. Yeah. Um, let's start at the bottom of 15... 1523, really? Verse 12? Right. Um. Right. So the phrase, right. So the phrase, um, you created all the directions. Um, then the same phrase in verse 14. Right? Again, the same phrase appears, but it's not just sort of like, you know, one of these like random text generator things. <laughs> it's like he's picking it because of what it means, right? God created the whole world. Right? Your hand is strong, your right hand is exalted, right? Your arm is endowed with might, right? You are strong. Um, you God created the whole world. Um, right, which is, seems like related to the theme of Rosh Hashanah, of like sort of, right, first of all, it's the day of the creation. Second of all, the whole point is right, that God has like made everything and this is the day where things are going to be decided. Um, so, but this is sort of how it operates. I think, right, you can, you can get the sense that if we were to go through and look up all of the citations for everything, it would sort of take a lot and like some of them would add some things, some were not. So what I'm hoping to do is sort of to do that selectively. Um, if that makes sense. Um, yeah? Also, I don't know if this is or not, but the next four verses are all part of the Russian Right. I think it's probably not a coincidence. Um, Right, Ashrei Ha'am Yodei Tura Adonai Bor Panachai Ha'alech. Right. Right. It seems unlikely, right? It seems like this is sort of, it's like a, it's a key for those in the know that like this is like a Rosh Hashanah themed thing. Um, So now we are in the know as well. Um, Right, so sort of, here I would say, right, we have a few themes. We have this idea of God is sort of God is strong, God is wearing something maybe, um, that we hopefully are aware of God ruling the world in a way that nations aren't necessarily, and this whole idea of like God having made the world and ruling the world being related to Rosh Hashanah. So we're sort of introducing all these things through the choice of illusions in the first line. Um, I think what it makes sense to do um, is just to for you guys, if you can, to look over the piyut in either English or Hebrew um, and think about a few questions, right? First of all, what, aside from these themes that we just introduced, what are, what would you describe as the theme, sort of either the type of imagery that's being used or like sort of what's, what's the point here, right? Or more than one point? And relatedly, right, how would you divide it? Um, meaning, are there different segments? Is there a turning point in this feud at all? Um, those are sort of the basic questions, right? Like, what's the theme? And if there's more than one theme, where does it, where does it split? Um, so 
So let's do that until, let's, let's do that for five minutes or ten minutes and see how it goes. Um, you can talk to the person next to you if you want. You don't have to, but you're strongly encouraged. In fact, maybe I have to say you have to, because otherwise nobody's going to do it. Somebody has to be the first one. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's learn um, this stuff, right? So there should be 26 verses, right? So like, we can think about how they go. Um, carry on.
describes his characteristics and
Let's um, come back together for a minute. Thank you, guys. Okay. So, first of all, what is right? The two questions are themes and set structure. So, what do people think about that? Um, but yeah, what like what what's it about? Justice and might seem to be things. Okay, which is not talking, right? Considering. <laughs> right. Um, Meaning, right, so themes, you know, themes. Right, so themes are justice, like where, if you could put a few examples of words in that. Sure. Um, so, King Raid and Justice, Hallowed and Righteousness, Thine, Reward is Justice. I only, I didn't get that far in. No words. Um, what kind of justice are we talking about when we say that, by the way? Meaning, what does justice mean? So I kind of connected justice and judgment. Okay. So I don't know if that's he's like he's going to judge right. just with just he's going to judge with justice. Right. right. And I guess the thing is, what is the felony? Expected outcome is when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like if God is just, there's a lot of evil in the world, and it sounds like all those people are going to get right? That sort of the the undercurrent here, right? Justice, but like, right, we believe to some sort of punishment. Right? Um, and in terms of who's connected to money, right? So it's, well, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. Any, any other sort of 
standard ideas that are in there, yeah? From a structure or a mirror, at least the first half of it uses clothing imagery. God is wrapped, God is clothed, God is crowned. It's all about clothing. Right, right. What is God wearing? God is. Translation is something you want to give you very well. God's outfits, because I think that's sort of what's about different things that you can wear. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. also? Right, so you notice there are these two little things in here which seem to be like not entirely part of the poem in the small, <coughs> in the small script, right? God of ten outfits, right? So it, it is actually true, right? This is sort of, this leads into the structure exactly, right? The first ten lines, exclusive of this, so really till line eleven, the way it's laid out here. By the way, these breaks here are just because they're from pages, not because they're like actual breaks, sorry. Um, right, so the first ten lines which goes through line eleven are all about garments, right? Right. Um, yes. So, any other sort of like thematic or structural notes? What happens after line eleven? Right. The clothing thing seems to go away, which will because there are there are ten for a reason that we will see soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone? Uh, the payback comes from the judge, and the judgment, the, you know, what yeah. Right. So I, w- I would say you guys can disagree with this. I would say like lives twelve to fourteen are sort of their own like. 12 to 14 is sort of setting of God as the ruler of everything, sort of like God rules the whole world, right? Which is it's sort of a theme throughout, obviously, but um, that those seem all to be about, like, right? Like the entire world without God, right? God rules forever and God rules everything, right? Um, and the summary line reflects that. The Melashal of Kinyo Ram, yeah, from the Zulu of the Lamb, I should have Oh, so right. You are fit. Thank you for saying that. We will get there in a second. Right. right, And then, like, sort of, when, I think, like, 15, we go either way, but I'm going to put it in the second part, but 15 to 25, you have, right, it seems like we're talking about now sort of individual judgments, right? Like, yeah. God is going to discern what you're really thinking, God knows what's hidden, God knows what people really need, and they're going to get what they, what, what's coming from the Orient. No, from line 11, it's actually the this is when he came back. Everybody's afraid of Hashem. Everybody's afraid of him, so he sees it. Over here, he is punishing. Right. And then afterwards, but we have to remember that this is um, all just. All these punishments and everything that seems so awesome, it is because Melech Shofet Tzedek, Melech Rambi Gabor Ramishpah, the Pranavia Melech Tzedek, everything is done in Tzedek, even though it seems as if it is fighting because it's an Ishmael Melchamot, but it's Ke'ishmael Melchamot Ya'ir Kin'ah. Right. It seems as if he's punishing you or he's fighting, you know, but then we all have to remember that everything that Hashem is in it is the Tzedek. Right. So I, say, I think, yeah, I think that's helpful. Thank you. So I would say maybe, yeah. I would say my way is two ways. There's two things going on. I mean, I still think that like these lines, they're setting up like God has these powers, right? And these powers are scary because it means that God can like, can do anything to you, mm-hmm. right? Everybody is afraid of what might, what God might do to them, right? 
Um, but then, like, right, the second half is, on, on one level, right, you don't have to be afraid if you've been doing the right thing. On the other hand, if you haven't, you, you are correct to be afraid, but it's sort of, it's, it's segueing more into the connection with actions, meaning, like, or with sort of deserving, not just sort of, like, God is rampaging through the world doing random stuff, making mountains of turn, but, like, right, that these things are supposed to be caused it, like, related to your actions, Yeah. Because then, I want to make it the line, what we need to find in the world that it helps those who pursue injustice. Right. I mean, I think in general, like, this, this feud is mostly about the vengeance side of justice, right? but it does have a nod to the positive side of justice, which is that if you have, in fact, behaved properly, then, like, you can... God will help you. But, I mean, I think this is sort of actually an interesting theme, and I think... People talk about it as if it is a generational shift, um, but like you know, everybody wants to tell these stories, right? Like in the old country, you used to go to shul, and everybody was so afraid, and in Kippur, and they were all crying. Not in Kippur, but they were all crying. Everybody, everybody sort of perceived themselves as sinners. My impression is that that is much less common now. I mean, in the old days, like people who kept Shabbos and kosher and all this stuff, like still perceived themselves as sinners for, because of all the things that they sort of felt themselves doing wrong. Whereas now, I feel like my impression is that that is less common. Um, so in some ways, like, this liturgy resonates with people less, but at the same time, perhaps it is more <laughs> important. I don't know. Um, yeah? I, I, I don't know that if we should idealize the old days. I mean, uh, maybe that we remember that, that, that people remember the people who cried, um, but it's not necessarily everyone, and... Uh, that people may have been in the same place as we are now. In That's fair, right? I Meaning, what I just said may not be historically accurate. It's more of like a memory kind of thing. Yeah. That's, That's fair. I'm not. I'm not like attached to this as a historical yeah. statement. Um, yeah. I think Which is super interesting in terms of like people's expectations of regarding their the like sort of the things that are likely to to come their way to be visited upon them can impact if if you believe that there's a causative relationship between you know how you behave and what happens to you the worse your expectations are for what's going to happen to you the worse you may think about the way you behaved but that's a very interesting observation I think that that's to some extent true I mean it's just a sort of right this is this is one of the challenges of living in a relatively comfortable time. Yeah. Um, somebody just said about the outside world. I mean, I read very much into this about how um, God's going to take vengeance on enemies. Yes, that's actually an excellent segue. Thank you so much. So let's look at, right, this, this thing of Aksara Lubushim, right, God has ten garments, um, is an allusion to Midrash. Um, so that Midrash is actually number two on this source sheet. Um, can we, everybody have one? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you noticed that, because I did not feel that just reading the text here without knowing the Midrash that we're about to read was necessarily sort of like God's enemies, sort of like national enemies, but if we read the text, you may see it, yeah. Specifically, the reference to that, I can't, and so line, in line 20 in the English versus line 20 in the Hebrew, I don't see, uh, it says in the English on Edom's Hadi. 
post, but I don't see the um, I don't know if I'm not translating right or Well, or it's probably understanding. Wait, let's look at which one is which. So it's. I should have put numbers on here. I'm um, sorry. It. So yeah, it's King Gavin. This one. Earth Kings. Um, and then it's so I wrote my Ruma. Right. So this is an interesting question. Ruma. He's translating it as haughty. Okay. Or rather, it could be translated as haughty, sort of like mm-hmm. relating to. Um, yeah. No. Is he translating it as haughty? Edom's haughty host. It's a pun. Here's what's happening. Sva Ruma is Rome. Is you? Is you missing one? Missing Oh. Oh, how pleasant. That means that there are more people here than expected. Um, does somebody mind just running and making like how many people are missing? Yeah, or either making having you can take my we can trade if you want one that's not stable. Oh, okay. Um thanks. How many words are you? Okay, so you're the heroine of Risa Trisha in many ways. <laughs> um right, so it's a pun. Sva Ruma. Ruma is like Rome Lavavo, like haughty. That's where the word haughty in English comes from. But it's also, what is Edom associated with? Rome. Edom is associated with Rome. So Sva Ruma is like haughty Romans, right? Um, <laughs> wow. And then where did Edom come from? Right, so Edom is Rome. Oh, it is. That's, that's the association. Got it. Right, sort of like if there's like four nations that have like four exiles, right? It's like the current one is Edom, which it's was done by okay. Rome, sort of been like in many ways, right? Edom was associated, associated with Rome. Um, yeah. So right, it's a pun and he's sort of trying to trying to capture it as best he can. It's actually an interesting, a good question. Um, not something I had intended to point out. But no, I'm glad. Because <laughs> right, I feel like part of my point here is to show like the different types of things that happen in PU that make it complicated, right? Mm-hmm. So one of, one of the types of things is using this language from verses and sort of like assuming you know the context to make points. One of the types of things is that you say things sort of in like in these poetic ways that are not <laughs> totally direct. One of the types of things is that like the whole structure here assumes that you know the following midrash which we're about to read. Um, right, so we're actually looking at number two. Which is from Sikhidrasahana. There are parallels to this in other places. We'll see. I, I don't think that the way we have it. Oh, you took next to Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. Thank you. Sorry. Um, oh, so maybe this is. Sorry. Well, thank you. Um, right. So there are parallels elsewhere. None of them are exactly parallel to the way that we have it. Thank you, Dahlia. Um, but let's look at, let's sort of say how it, how it works. Um, right. Um, I, this is partly my own sort of difficulty. I find it particularly challenging, I guess, to translate these things with a bunch of quotations because I'm always afraid I'm going to like mistranslate the biblical quotations. So I sort of just translated it with sort of saying what it says and then telling you where to look for the quote. Um, but here's the idea. Right, so right, in ten places Israel was called Kala, bride. Um, verse two, sorry, verse two is on the same page. Um, right, three by Shlomo, which are all like in the span of six Sukim in Shira Shirim in Song of Songs. Um, right, right, it sort of cites them here, right? Three by Isaiah and one by Jeremiah. So here are the examples, right? 
like there's a sort of this whole trope in in Shir Shirim of God calling Israel or whatever the way they understand it God calling Israel right the Dod calling the Raya is Kala right so that happens six times right so Israel is called Kala six times in Shir Shirim according to this Midrash three by Isaiah right um Right, Kikulamka, Adi Tilvashi, Vitikshirim Kikala, right, you will be um, like dressed up like a Kala, Kikhatani Chahin Pe'er Bechachala Ta'azai Kelaha, which is interesting because Israel is referred to as the Chatan and the Kala in that Pasuk, Musas Chatan al Kala, right, like God will like be happy with Israel, like this is sort of familiar, familiar to us as, as a bride, a groom is happy with the bride, right. Um, so, and Yermiyahu says, Kosasun Bukosukha Kochatan Bukol Kala, which we often understand as sort of like an actual prediction of good things that are going to happen, right, that like, you know, we'll be restored to Israel and we will have normal, happy life events, right? That's sort of the simple understanding of that relatively famous, like, prophecy is, right, like, we will once again have happy life events in Jerusalem. Um, but they're, they're understanding it as, right, you, Israel's voice, will be once again returned to Jerusalem. The Kalah here is Israel, at least according to this Midrash. So that's kind of an interesting twist on that. Right, so we have these ten things. That's sort of actually not the, the main point here. Lavash Right, God has worn ten garments in parallel to these ten Kala references. Right, so, okay, how does that work? Right, like, what does wearing garments have to do, what does God wearing garments have to do with Israel being a bride? Right, right, God is getting dressed up for Israel, as it were, right? And it's sort of, before we read on, what kind of, what kind of things would you expect to see now, right? Like, right, a list of, of sort of clothing images, um, and we'll see, like, right, we'll see what kind of things God is doing when dressed up. It seems a little bit not necessarily wedding-like, but, yeah. Could it be a reference to the clothing of all of the different that could it, I don't think that this midrash is referring to that because it says specifically right? God wore ten garments I mean is it sort of in the back of its head aware, aware of changing clothes I'm not sure because as you'll see it's talking about different historical epochs that are not in short succession um, but it's an interesting observation um, right, so here are the, the ten things, right, the ten times that God wore different things. We can just look at it in English or not, right? The first one is on the day of the creation of the world. Um, I, I can't put this outfit because I didn't know what else to call it, right? Um, right, it was like of some sort of splendor and glory, um, grandeur and glory, you could quote it. Um, Right? And that's from the creation, right? So we have the times are the. Let's, I'm going to keep a list for my own purposes. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm sort of a visual person, so I need to write things down. Um, right, so our 10 garments, right? So this, this is all right. So, so the six is this, right? The first one is creation. Um, right, to punish, right, and here we get into already like the punishment theme, right, to punish the generation of the flood, right, so the 
the second sort of epoch, which is like a, it's a sort of a, a historical epoch, is a garment in some way, which is also a really interesting idea, right? You have a sort of like Kabbalah, also the idea that like God's garments are the things that, like the ways that God may be known in the world, right? So here we have like, right, right. And so here like sort of like God's garments are the ways that God is acting in history in sort of like in broad ways, not like, you know, on Tuesday, but sort of like in this major historical change. Um, Right, so like punishing um, the flood, and that is the right, and the proof there is which we have on Psalm 93, which is associated with Friday and Shabbat. Uh, right, God is born, and the next pasuk also, Lavesh Hashem Ozit Azar is the next thing, the third thing. Shalavat Shkodesh Baruchuli came to Rali Israel. Right, flood. Um, Right? So to punish the Babylonians, right, the people who sort of create the first exile. Um, and that was white. Um, Halabusha Hamishi, which actually is going to be the fifth hand thing. I was like, sorry, I have a little hand tempo, but it turns out that it's correct. It's five and six, I guess, or six back, so it's five. Um, right? Which is to punish the Medeans, um, who were sort of like the major empire that succeeded Babylonia. I mean, like Persia and Medea are sort of connected, very much. Like in maybe a lot of stair shell for us and what that is. Um, right, the Chumah Daesh and the Kamah, yeah? Right, that is the Kamah, the Kamah being sentenced. Right, right. And there, because the Pasuk says, Shinim Arba Yivash, Tigdei Nakam, Tilboshet, Vayakim, Yilakim, also, first of all, the verse is double, and also maybe because it's, um, Big Day is plural, it could be that they're saying, well, this is really two. Right, so it's sort of like, First it says there's ten, and then it's like, well, we're <laughs> so it, it seems clear that what's going on here is that there's this idea that there's supposed to be ten, and there's ten kalah, so you have to kind of make it, right? Um, and apparently, in some versions of this, this year, it's actually said for that reason. Yeah. Right. No. So some of the some of the things in our PU are. Lifted from these kinds. Yeah. Right, exactly. This, this, this midrash historically of all such exploring, there was like, like there were parts of the program that are known for like that era, like that. I don't think so. I think it's a matter of where it's linked together. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if we look at them, you might see allusions to these, like, why these things have been inspired creation. There's probably a reason, but it probably doesn't say like at the time of creation about it. Right. I mean, done that like we're right now but my my guess would be that in some of them like there's probably a reason that they pick this one to connect it to right like if there was always a draft there nothing's explicit generally but like certainly like it's not going to say like this is about more dying right things like that um, although I'm sure like in the context there it's about sort of punishing enemies which is like punishing the enemies or whatever um, right so seven and eight the Lushas is the Quran and the Yavan right it's on the streets but these are like all the occupying towers. And that is called the 
Right. And that switches to future tense. Right. And that switches to future tense. Nine and ten are what God will wear, right, mm-hmm. to punish the current oppressors, essentially. Right. Current and future oppressors, right? Um, Right, so like Edom, Adom, right? So like, which also we will see. There's an Isaiah 63, maybe that's what we're looking for, right? Edom, Edom being Rome, right? This is why in the future tense, because this is still called Galut Edom, right? If there's four exiles, this is the fourth. It's called the exile of Edom, and it is obviously still meaning like. This is the same exile that started with the destruction of the second day of Gash, right? So, like, it's still there. Um, right, so that is red. And, right, and then the, the real future one of, like, their preference that may or may not actually even still exist. It's like Gokumago, right? You punish Gokumago. Ah, sorry. That's pretty bad. Um, right, it is Hedemar. Excuse me, Paul. Fine. Um, so let's, um, is the tenth one different than the first one? One is Hod Vahadar and one is... Right, so Hod Vahadar and Hadur, are they really different? I mean, I think that they are yes and no. I mean, it's, and it's like nice if it's, if it's the same kind of... It's different Sukkot. It's different Sukkot. Right, it's interesting uh-huh. that the first, that starts and ends with this idea of Hadar. Neat. Right, and I think like, you know, I mean, how are these things really different? How, what does it mean that your clothing is Vura, right? It's, we're always, we're already talking yeah. in kind of metaphors, so like, I think it's sort of it's picking on whatever the Pasuk is saying to say that. Um, okay. So let us, let's look at Isaiah 63 for a second, because um, we'll have this idea, right? It's not just that Edom and Adom are punished, are like the puns. Which um, is on page. Page 990. Adom chamutz begadim. Who is this coming from Edom in crimson garments? Right? Crim, right. So the, the garments are red, right? Which is the pasuk there, actually, right? But crimson, right? They're red with blood, is the idea. Um, which we will see in another midrash in a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's like it's as if you're like wine stained. Oh wine. Oh, okay. I think that's right. Yeah, meaning like you've been you've been hanging out in the grapes. Right. Like a grape based stain. If you want to be a little more general. I mean that's how that's how it's generally understood and I think that that's there's also um one of the this is me wrote on Shabbat the right? There's a lot of this is sort of like a mm-hmm. a famous thing, um, but right. So we have this midrash where there's sort of ten historical epochs, only eight of which have occurred, in which like God is wearing something to basic. Well, most of them are to fun, right to create the world, then to punish a bunch of people, and to give us the Torah, right? Um, so like they're mostly sort of vengeful, but not all. Um, and that's what we have right in this piece, right? And you can sort of right there's this clue. Right? God who has ten garments, right? It's, it's assuming that you know about this, right? And then it's saying, okay, um, now God is sort of like getting girded. Who is Kedoshim here? Um, king robed in majesty. 
sorry, king and temple garments girded, girt for Israel's sake, God holy and revenged and revered amidst holy beings. Right? He does our victory, right? Gird for Israel's sake or gird with us, right? It's sort of it's referencing to all these things about God sort of punishing Israel's enemies and saying like, now do this for us, meaning even though the spirit of this piyut is very much about God punishing, the subtext is God punishing other people because hopefully we're worthy of that, right? Which is sort of... Um, for us? Yeah, for us. For Which makes it interesting, the fact that then it sort of switches in the end to sort of like God understands everybody individual. If you look at the last sort of small print line, as, as Barbara was mentioning, right? Uh, or this Chavritu was mentioning, I don't remember what she said. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? God means like the the God of the whole world, right? It's sort of like these two little lines give you a clue as to what this whole piece is about, right? It's about this idea, right? There, the, the first ten lines are about allusion to this midrash, God sort of punishing the enemies of Israel because they've done the wrong thing, um, and to you know because of God, if you go back to the um, the wedding metaphor, not just because they've done the wrong thing, but because of God's special relationship with Israel, right? Those who punish who like make Israel suffer, God will make them suffer, right? Sort of like the just the warrior groom. It's not just any groom. I don't know. Um, Right? And then the second half is about right, God ruling the whole world and sort of then we, we in some ways put ourselves in the chair of the people who are being judged. Now it's very easy to be like, well, God will judge the other people and we're the people on the right. But like, in the second half, we put ourselves also in the chair of the people who are potentially being judged and, you know, sort of because God really rules the whole world with Um Right? So like the two sort of, it gives you some amount of, of signposts, if you will, about like what it's about, what its structure is, but you sort of have to know more than that or read somebody who knows more than that, um, in order to figure out, like, to, to really get it. Um, and I think one, right, so this is one way that team can sort of, can pull in Midrashim, right, it's sort of to, to use this idea that only comes from Midrash, this idea of, like, the ten garments and whatever as the structure of the PU. There's another, another, another way that a, a PU can pull in a Midrash, I just want to look at for a second, is going to be source one on this source sheet, um, where, like, one line will refer to a Midrash, we might not even um, have thought about otherwise. So let's look at this line 10, right? Melech Talito Keshelag right? The king whose cloak is like clear snow, meaning white, so that, right, in this Midrash, and our this version of the Midrash is the is punishing of Babel, but that may not be. And then this whole idea, tzach keeps coming, tzach, 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 like, tzach is also sort of, even though it's not the same shore, it's just a pun, right? So there's like, tzach, 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 it's like all, it's all in there. Um, um, right, so let's look at verse, this has a Rosh Hashanah connection. Um, let's look at the source number one here, from Shir Shirim Rabbah. Right. Um, so first of all, the verse from Shir Shirim, right? That the other women, as it were, say to the Raya, like the beloved in Shir Shirim, like you, how is your beloved better than other beloveds? Why is your beloved so much better that you have like made us take these oaths that if you see your beloved, you'll know, return you to him or whatever? Um, so in in the sort of the classic rabbinic metaphor, metaphorical understanding of Shir Shirim, right? Who are the characters? Right. So the Shir Shirim, as we have it, it has right. It has a female lover, a male lover, and the female lover sometimes speaks to um, she speaks to other women, and then there are these guards sort of out there. Um, so who are those characters in the metaphor? Right? 
Right, the rabbinic understanding. That's what she's right. right, the female lover is Israel, the male lover is God, yeah. and who are the other women? Yeah, the right, the other nations, right? So when they say, why is your God, why is your your lover different than our lover, right, the, the Midrash is understanding the Mot Ha'olam, right? So, so B'nai Israel says, my beloved is, the way the 1917 JPS is white and ruddy, right? So it's already kind of like, you could say clear and ruddy, meaning, but the way to understand it as not con- contradictory is to say tzach means clear in some way. So tzach has to do with like complexion, and then it could be any color. Um, but there does seem to. Um, right. I think adom means like vigorous here, meaning ruddy in the sense of vigorous, right? Like you know, not pale, not weakly. Okay. Um, right, um, Rosh, and then I just sort of I included the next question here because it's sort of interesting that Rosh Hashanah right? We have all these colors here, right? And he's wearing he has like a golden head, and then his hair is black. So there's all these sort of colors floating around. It's sort of an interesting discussion for a different time, right? So, but the midrash picks up on this idea of what tachbe adom. It seems like they're right, clear and ruddy, like what it's almost like white and red, sort of like well, which one is it? Um, right. So here is this midrash. I'll read it in Hebrew, but you can follow along in English on the bottom. Does that sound? Fair and I will translate the wrong way. Um, right? How is your beloved different than other beloveds? Right? The nations of the world say to Israel, How is your beloved different? Right? How is this God different than other gods? Right? How does he take care of you different than other people? Other Entities might. Um, so Israel says back to them, my relationship with God is such that my God is white and ruddy. What does that mean? Right? God is clear for me in Israel, but red for the Egyptians. Meaning what? Right? Which I think is perhaps a mistake, right? God is clear for me that says Vavarti Baratim Tzayim. Now, Vavarti Baratim Tzayim is actually about punishing the Egyptians. I think there may be like some sort of textual issue where it's Vavarti. It was supposed to be referring to the Pasuk that starts with Vavarti of God will pass over the Jews, right? Um, the Adolam Yitzrayim, but God is red for the Egyptians themselves because God sort of like, you know, stirs up the Egyptians into the sea, right? So God saves me, but punishes my enemies. Tachli um, Bayam, right? God is clear for me in the sea. Uvnei Yisrael Right? Because Bnei Yisrael sort of get literally the sea cleared for them. But I don't leave a yam, right? But also red for me at the sea because God destroyed the, the Egyptians at the sea, right? Um, so, right, so it sort of sets up this opposition, right? Tzach is sort of God doing gracious things for Israel. Adom is God punishing Israel's enemies, right? Um, so now it says, Tzach li ba'olam haba, ba'adom li ba'olam hazeh. Right? God is clear for me in the, in the world to come, but Adom li ba'olam hazeh. Meaning, I, God may make you suffer now, but it'll pay me back later. Which is very much like sort of... It's, an, it's a really interesting contrast to the previous one. Um, right? Where like, we have this historical memory of God punishing our enemies and that being actually good for us in this world. But now we're kind of saying, well, now maybe we have to wait for this to, to have the same experience. Um, which, I mean, it's a faith statement, essentially. It's not a historical statement, which is kind of interesting. Um, and Rabbi Levi... Right. Rabbi Levi Bar Chaita has a different understanding, three sort of like Tach Adom contrasts, which is kind of interesting. I'm sorry. Tach Li Shabbat, Adom Li Kol Shabbat, right? God is like, 
wait for me on Shabbat and rev the rest of the time. Which I, mean, I think that's like a really evocative image. Um, it's really, it's really like it sort of it totally resonates with our experience of Shabbat, even though sort of like what does that mean? Meaning like if you're talking about sort of like national punishments and like the fact that Shabbat does not change like your geopolitical status or like your you know national status and like some sort of in exile or whatever, but like that they, it really captures the experience of Shabbat. Like Shabbat is sort of like a special experience of like some sort of relief, right? The haven, exactly. Right, but the rest of the week, you know, still have to work hard. Sakli um, right? And here, right, it's not an accident that you maybe attach, maybe connect to this in a piyut on Rosh Hashanah, right? Sakli Hashanah, right? God is, or perhaps can be, clear or white for me on Rosh Hashanah, right? God can give me a clear year on Rosh Hashanah, but the rest of the year I still have to work for it. Or maybe if I don't do the right thing on Rosh Hashanah, the rest of the year I will pay for it, right? Um, right? Sakli Bolam Hazeva, Adonli Bolam Haba, which is the opposite. Of before, um, so what does that mean? <laughs> um, I, mean I don't, yeah, I don't know. He obviously can't actually mean that, like, well, you know, we have a good in this world, but we're going to get punished in the world to come. Like, he's obviously, like, that's just not what he would say. So he must be using Tach and Adam differently than we saw them before. Um, what? Right. Either he meant the reverse, right? Because it could be even just the abbreviations got mixed up. Now right, but it's a different heat, right? It's a different heat. It's hard to lazy. So right, it could be either that they got switched. Yeah. Maybe it means when we're buried, we're buried in a white shroud, but it's the other one, or red and the white color. Right, right. So either it could be using red in a totally different way, um, and not in terms of but in terms of like ruddy, like the original pasuk. Um, Right, it's almost like the opposite of death. You associate death with sort of the blood right. raining from your face and being pale, but he's saying that a lot of we're going to be revitalized. Right. Um, I looked it up. I don't. I, I don't remember what it said. I'm sort of. Could be like sort of royal robes. Um, right. It could be Tachli Bolam Hazar. Right. That God. Uh, here, actually, this is what it, I, I read one commentary that, that read it this way, which is sort of a little forced. Tachli God appears to me to be sort of not vengeful in this world, but God will appear vengeful, meaning against other people in the world to come. Right? That's one way of understanding it, or that they just got switched. Meaning it can't be that we're saying, like, well, we're living it up now, but wait till we get to the next world. That's yeah. sense, right? Um, right, so we have... Sort of, it's, I, I don't know, I think it's so interesting, and it shows, like, sort of the real depth and breadth of these kind of few teams, where, like, there's this midrash, the ta- there's these two midrash teams, one of them talks about, like, God having a white garment, he chooses a way of talking about the white garment that is an, an allusion to this other midrash that also has a Rosh Hashanah connection, right? That's, like, it's pretty sophisticated, um, in my humble opinion. Um, so let's look at one... More things, um, or a few more things in this this piece. Let's look at. Hmm? Right. Right. No. That. Right. That's why this sort of this idea of takli balam habava donli balam hazeh is really like it's really poignant in the context here because the rest of these things are supposed to be things that are actual experiences. Like we, our actual experience of a relationship with God in this world is that God is taking care of us and punishing other people, or taking care of us at least to some degree. Not punishing other people, meaning, but like you know, gives us something. And that one is really a statement about like our faith in the future, even though we're not experiencing all now that we're getting something from God. Right. That's what, that's sort of I think it's really, it is really poignant and interesting. Um, so let's look back at um, 
Yeah. There's another. Where do I want to be? I want to look back at the third line. Melchizedek Lavesh. Right. So we saw in the previous. Let's, let's look at the first three lines again, right? So the first line, Melech Azur Gura, each of the three kind of, I don't know what you call those. The three, the three clauses of this verse, um, right, has the same word, Gura. The second line, Melech Bigdei Nakam, Lavash Biyom Nakam, right? They're, they're both about nakam, nakam, and they're both, the first two have the word Nakam, and then the second one, Tarav Yashiv El Chaykam. Right, which doesn't have the word nakam, but it has the same sound and it's the same idea. Right, God will give give it back to his enemies, like he'll give them a taste of their own medicine, as it were. Right, I don't know. Right, right, it's sort of right. It's sort of interesting. Sometimes what you have is using exactly the same words that you have in a pasuk, and sometimes what you have is playing with them. Right, and I think, I mean, it's not something that you can necessarily, like, deduce a science as to when he did which, but, it, yeah, you kind of have both. Right, and the third one, you have Melch Geut Lovesh Geut is one of the, one of the outfits, right, from the Midrash, right, so God wears a sort of grandeur or whatever. Yamim um, Miyabesh V'Ga'avat Afikim Mechabesh. So Ga'avat is, first of all, the same letters as Geut, right, Gimel Alavavta, right, the same idea, right, even though it's turning it on the head, right, God is sort of, Elevated in some way, um, but the, the haughtiness of other people, their own sort of fake elevation, God is going to squelch. Um, what about a yamim yabesh? Why is that there? Because the flood, Geut is the flood, and this is about drying up the seas. Right. Excellent. One excellent connection, right? Geut is the flood, right? Assuming that his version of Yerusha is basically the same, right? So, like, it's connected to water, so you sort of. Right. It, it, on some level, like, listen, yeah, the idea that God can dry up the land is, is obviously related to the idea of God being mighty and whatever, but why this one particular? So one is it has to do with water, right? Um, the other, let's look for a second at, um, sorry, there's a, Nachum 1-4, which I just had open and then closed. Um, or Nachum 1 in general. Um, page 1355. Right. Um, so this is a pronouncement on Ninveh. Right. Masan Ninveh. Right. Nacha has uh, something to say to Ninveh. Right. The verse two. Let's get yeah, everybody can can get there for a second. Yeah. Um, okay. So not from one five, right? El Kanovan Okay Mashem, right? So it starts out, right? God is this vengeful God, which seems to be in the theme of our Piyut as well as the Midrash, right? Um, God will, you know, be vengeful towards his enemies. Um, but also Hashem Erechapayim Ugdal Koach, right? God is also long suffering to some degree. Um, and then, right, verse four, Go Er Bayam Biyam Shehu, Bechol Hanerotecharev, right? God has. Um, you know, sort of, I always translate Goer like grr. <laughs> I don't know how you, I don't know, it's like, I'm sort of like, yeah, rebuke is a good one, yeah. But right, go, uh, right, exactly, right, but like, it's, it's like that, it's like grr, but it's, right, rebuke is a good word. Goer beyond the Amshay, right, God can rebuke the, the, the sea and make it dry. Right, so at least according to Goldschmidt, right, this is sort of the, the illusion here, right? Yamim miyabesh, right? God dries up the land. God can rebuke the land and drop the sea and dry it up, right? But if you know, if that's the illusion, right, 
then this also makes a little bit more sense here because the whole context in Nahum is about how God is a vengeful God who will punish the nations, right? So this, like, this little clause that on some level, it seems a little bit out of place. It seems like, why is this here? It's not totally out of place if you know where it comes from, right? Um, so the ones who were reading this around the time that it was written, did they, were they so well-versed that they got it? Or right, so that's an excellent question, meaning, like, who is this really for? Right, and, like, meaning, Khalir and Yanai, Yanai, Yanai and team are similar. Yanai was sort of like the, the Ur Python, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that he's Khalir's teacher, and he, there's this, like, apocryphal story that Yanai got so successful with Khalir's, like, Khalir's, um, Rebellion or Khalir's, like, you know, outside success relative to Yanai, that he like poisoned him. I think, what, but one of the rabbis, one of the rishonim, correctly points out, right? Like that story is obviously not true because, like, if that were true, then Yanai would not be like a well-regarded, famous python, right? If he was also a murderer, like that's, it's sort of like, you know, presumably the story comes from the idea that, like, well, he must have been jealous because his student is more famous than him. But they both, you know, they they were composing things like this for every week. Right. So, I meaning, who's it really for? I don't know. I don't. I, it, it seems unlikely that everybody in Shul, in wherever in Babylon or wherever, understood it. Right. But it seems like some people did. Um, Not that they had to speak Aramaic because they couldn't understand the Hebrew. Right. Right. <laughs> to know it. Right. Meaning, like, they who? They so that they had to write in Aramaic. What could it be in Lashon Hakodesh or whatever they they it was before? I mean, the body of work, why couldn't it be? Because they said they had to do it in Arabic because nobody understood it. Well, they spoke, everybody spoke Arabic. Yes, but this, who would understand Right, who understands this? It's a really excellent question, right? Meaning, like, I think on some level what people are sort of, you know, if you can imagine the congregation in, like, you know, 1,500 years ago, like, what their response, what their... What they're reacting to is sort of like the cadence, the rhyme. They, you know, they may have known this midrash. This midrash may have been like the kind of thing that you learn in Cheder of like, you know, God wore ten garments. So like that line there of Melchah Sarah Lebushim is like a flag for people. Meaning like, if you just had ten lines about like all this poetic stuff about what God's wearing, yeah, maybe people wouldn't catch it. But you say Melchah Sarah Lebushim, it's like, oh yeah, I know that, right? It's possible that like, you know, there are things in here that, that would have been a little bit more culturally resonant for people then that they would have picked up on. And it's also, it's not, it's not crazy to imagine that people were more biblically literate than we are, right? Um, <laughs> Even so if, like, right, they would, they, would, they would recognize a lot of these things as biblical allusions, right? Just sort of, they would recognize them as sort of words that they sort of know, and they would sort of, they, it, it would feel familiar to them, even if they didn't, you know, couldn't explicitly tell you all of, like, the connections that are being made, right? Yeah, but they, they even the Tulot had to be translated. They never did the Tulot the way we do. There was a translator there. Mm-hmm. During the Tulot. Right. right, so I don't know, I mean, I don't know if it was in Babel or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think, like, you know, if people, right. So then another possibility is just that, like, there were, like, three people who understood it, but everybody kind of, the same way that, like, Chazanas yeah. used to be different than now. Now we have this whole idea that everybody's supposed to sing along and you want a chazan who can sing tunes that everybody knows, right? It used to be like everybody had no problem going and listening to some guy sing and repeat mm-hmm. things and blah, blah, for a long time. And it was much more sort of like he was the shaliach and his job was to do things that other people can't, mm-hmm. right? That also seems somewhat likely, right? That like part of it is his job is to sort of like, like these sort of very intricate permutations are themselves kind of like an offering. Like they're sort of like a... a they're a way of beautifying the tefillah that not everybody can do, so like the person who's chosen to be the representative can do that. Um, yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, so there are, 
Right. Let's just do one more example of sort of a, a way of playing with language. Um, let's look at Chul Tachul Haaretz, which is in which line? Um, in line 15. Where God is sort of like fearsome to the to the kings of the world. That the earth will be fearful. Um, so let's look at Psalm 97:4 and Ezekiel 30:16. Ninety-seven four is on page fifteen thirty-three. Yes. Right, um, which is also from our Kabbalah Shabbat. Um, right, fifteen thirty-three. Right, hey, you broke table. Right, like God, lightning lights up the world. Um, Right, the the world sees and is and it trembles. Right, so there we have the idea of the world trembling. But where does this language of chul tachul come from? That comes from this other pasuk of Ezekiel thirty. Twelve twenty-two. Great, thank you. Uh, or so. <laughs> or so. Um, yeah, twelve twenty-two. Um, the natati eshem chul Right, like I'm going to send a fire to Egypt and Sin, wherever that is, will be, probably not China, right, will be, will tremble, right? So this, the language of like, right, the earth will tremble comes from the Psukim, but the way of saying will tremble, Chul Tachul, comes from Yichazkel, which is talking about nations fearing God, right, which is sort of thematic to this piyut also. So that's, that's another place where sort of like, right, it's in some ways very playful, right? Like sometimes it's just using the, the precise language, sometimes it's conjugating a little differently, sometimes it's sort of bringing different sukim together um, to make his own, like sort of using all these puzzle pieces to make his own point. Um, and the point itself is scaffolded onto, like, right, he's using the biblical words on, like, sort of grafting them onto this rabbinic idea from this midrashim and sort of connecting other rabbinic ideas um, to make, like, something that's also a standalone liturgical poem. So I think that that's sort of um, right, there's like many layers here. Yeah. It's really sort of fascinating. Oh. And I have to run. <laughs> so thank you all for coming. Or rather, not just I have to run. Just, um, our time has come to an end. You may also have to run. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I don't know what the scene is here. It's probably not China. Um, <laughs> although, you never know. Um, thank you all for coming. So I hope to see you next week. Thanks for coming back for those of you who are here before. Favorite tune? You know, I can't say that I've been in trouble this early in a long time. So, it's <laughs> 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 you know, when I know when I was like in high school, I used to always my mother had this big thing like you should always get there by Hamela, which I tried to do. <laughs> but like, you know, the last like several years, I've either been pregnant or had like a little kid or whatever. Um, it just okay. hasn't happened in the same way. Okay. What can I say? Um, so there's a lot here about mental foundations. Yeah. The world. Right. Right. Vengeance on the nations of the world. But that's actually also an interesting point, right? It starts off with vengeance on the nations of the world related to this midrash, but then, like, I think at the end, it's not, it's, it's bringing it back to us and saying, like, well, don't be so confident that the whole point of Rosh Hashanah is for you, us righteous people, to, to pray that God will punish those other unrighteous people. Like, God also knows that we're doing things wrong, so we also have to 
you know. Yeah. Right. It's everything. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've heard it sort of just sort of like the traditional, like, um, sorry. Irene, oh, I'm sorry. You're Irene, right? Yeah. I feel like what I've heard is like, like just sort of like the, the new stuff, like not like a tune. Okay. But right. I don't know. Rabbi Silver is the person who would know like if there's a tune for it. Okay. I'll look to you on the internet. You know about Puyuta.com? Yes, I just found it recently. I didn't actually put this up there. And then I was like, okay, I'm doing it just because it felt like. Hurrah, thanks for coming. Yeah. So, not to I hope I. Many of you next week. Yeah. Now I will try and organize all these things.